Hello, and welcome to the Applicant Podcast. I'm Rebecca Tripp, and on this podcast, we discuss education, immigration, and the law. For this month, the month of August 2022, I have a list of lawyers that are coming on uh, to be interviewed for my lawyer series. So today I have with me lawyer Beth Mountford. So Beth, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start off with you quickly introducing yourself and just telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yes, of course. So um, as you said, my name is Beth Mountford. I am a recruiter with Smith Legal Search and I help manage our Toronto office. So through my work as a recruiter, I help lawyers navigate important career decisions, whether that is making a lateral move across Bay Street, understanding how, when, and where to go in-house or transitioning into a new market altogether. So like moving from Toronto to Vancouver, Vancouver to Toronto, or down to the U.S., back to Canada. Um, prior to recruiting, I was a lawyer. I am a 2018 call with the Law Society of Ontario, and I've practiced with both boutique and national firms in Toronto. So I very much understand the dynamics at play for lawyers, particularly lawyers and legal professionals, so paralegals included, um, particularly those who are starting out their careers or kind of around the three to five year mark and assessing their career goals, whether they're headed in the direction that they want. Um, the other thing that I do is I'm also very active in the mindfulness, mental health, and wellness space within the legal profession. So I'm a certified coach and I work as a breathwork facilitator, which really ties into my work as a recruiter because at Smith Legal Search, we really focus on people and a longer term perspective to recruitment. And what I mean by this is that we focus on getting to know people, understanding their legal practice, um, who they are as a human and their priorities, both in and out of the office. And we do this so that we can help you make intentional decisions about where you'd like to go with your career and ultimately your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really interesting story that you have. And uh, we met through one of your breathwork um, workshops and that, that really stuck with me. So yeah, it's nice to be able to, I think that was over a year ago, be able to reconnect and, and sit down and have this conversation. Um, so yeah, so you're kind of going back to the beginning. So your undergrad um, is in international development and globalization from the University of Ottawa. So maybe before we dive into your career in law, um, can you walk us through how you landed on that program and what made you to decide to apply to law school? Mm -hmm. So not a lot of like foresight or planning went into those decisions, I don't think. <laughs> so candidly, when I decided to go to the University of Ottawa, um, I wanted to get as far away from home as possible, I think was part of the decision. So I grew up north of Toronto in a small town called Holland Landing. Most people have not heard of it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I, I wanted to go as far away as possible. I was also really interested in international development, social justice. So I've always had I've always been interested in things that have a, a people component or a human component to it. And I think that that kind of threads in with my transition from law into recruitment. And so at the time, University of Ottawa being the capital of, the, of Canada had great opportunities for international development. And that's kind of what led me there. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of my degree, which is 
uh, kind of like general arts faced with the same the same question as most general arts majors are and that's well what am I going to do with this degree and like what comes next and so for me again like probably not the best reason to make important life decisions but um I was home for the summer one of my good friends who I had known since preschool we were always kind of competing for top of class and he asked me what I was doing after undergrad and I said well I don't know what are you doing and he said well I'm applying to law school and so I said well I guess I'm applying to law school too um at the time McGill was the only I was too late to write the LSAT so my options were McGill Law, which doesn't require the LSAT. And so that's where I landed. And um, and I feel like, you know, like my path is my path for a reason. And I really came into my own through law school. So even if my decisions weren't the most strategic or well thought out, I, I truly believe that whatever is meant for you cannot miss you. And so that's kind of what, that's kind of how I got to law school. And I didn't know that McGill was one of the schools that didn't require LSATs. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. So most people don't know this about McGill. McGill is actually a dual degree. So it's a civil law degree and a common law degree. It's a three and a half year program. Um, we pride ourselves on being transystemic, which means that we have we have both degrees. And, and because of that, the LSAT is an, is an English test. Um, and so they don't require it because the thought process being that it, it would um, benefit English speaking students and, and potentially prejudice those who are French speaking. Yeah, that's, that's a fair argument. So what has your, your career looked like since graduating from law school? Um, yeah, so I started in, I articled in Toronto, I started my career in family law, and I worked at two uh, very well respected family law boutiques, but early on, I decided that it wasn't the direction that I wanted to go. With hindsight, I will say that I think the first couple years of practice or of any career can be quite overwhelming. It's often a steep learning curve. It feels uncomfortable. And when you're in that space, it's very easy to make decisions based out of um, the fight or flight response. And so in hindsight, I kind of feel like my decision to leave family law was because I just didn't know how to cope with the stress of transitioning from being a student to articling and then from articling into being an associate. Um, that said, that's a very roundabout way of saying, started in family, moved into corporate. I did some time downtown at a national firm. Um, again, just like wasn't, I think when the pandemic hit and it became just me and my laptop, all of the benefits of being in, a, in an office downtown with a team that you enjoy being with, going for coffees or grabbing drinks after work, when all of that stripped away, and I think we spoke about this before, and it's just you and your work, it can be very confronting. Some people realize that like, I really enjoy what I'm doing, and others realize like, maybe this isn't how I want to be spending my time. And so for me, I, I felt like it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And I kind of, again, as, as many did throughout um, lockdown when we had extra time, went on a little bit of a soul searching journey. And um, 
started doing, started really getting clear on what my priorities were in terms of my career and my life, being radically honest about what mattered to me. And I knew that I wanted to do something that had a little bit more of a human component to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of led me into recruitment. One of the things, one of the things that I say often is, There are, I know a lot of lawyers um, who went to law school because of the movie Legally Blonde and being inspired by Elle Woods. And I will say that um, I actually, there's, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the movie Friends with Benefits in it, Mila Kunis, um, her her character's name is Jamie and Jamie is a headhunter. And I always thought that would be a really interesting role. And so when I was looking at, okay, what are my options? I knew I wanted to do something that was still within the legal profession. And so recruitment was the direction that I chose. So how do you like being a recruiter now? Um, yeah, so it's, so it's been really interesting and it's really opened my eyes on the profession. And again, so part of the reason that I decided to transition from practicing law into recruiting is that when I looked around, I couldn't really see myself in the shoes of the senior associates or the partners at any of the firms that I was at. And although I had the like utmost respect for them and their career paths and and their decisions, it just didn't resonate with me. Mm -hmm. And so for me, part of legal recruiting is really about showing lawyers that they have agency and choice and control over their careers and shining light on their options. And now I speak with a lot of lawyers who maintain a very broad range of practices and that can span from like the area of practice, the type of work that they do day to day, or how they have managed to really harmonize their work with their personal lives. And so to go back and answer your question about one of the things that I enjoy most is it really is about building relationships, getting to know the person underneath the lawyer underneath the legal professional. So helping you gain visibility on like, who are you? What matters most to you? What are your priorities? Where do you want to, like, what do you want to build with your career? And then being able to really shine light, give you visibility on what your options are and help you make informed decisions about where you'd like to take your career so that they align with what matters most to you. And So like you said, as someone who has gone, made different career decisions, made different transitions, one of the things that I really enjoy most is being able to guide people through that process. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. 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 I know. I think that's really great. And I feel like I'm sure in law school, these conversations were had about like the pathways where you could go like boutique versus large firms. And I think it really takes like personal experience and and really having these conversations and knowing yourself in order to determine like, what is the right job for you? Because maybe becoming partner isn't the right, I'm sure it's not the right pathway for all lawyers, right? Like it's just, it takes a very unique type of person and and personality and, and drive in order to be successful as a partner. And you know, if it's kind of drilled in, I'm assuming probably in law school, or at least like when you're talking about going into law, this idea that like you have to make partner and it's just, it, it, 
you know, at the end of the day, we all want to be happy in our careers. And so if you think that's the only pathway and and it's not something that you're going to be happy and then like, you know, then what? So I think these are really good conversations to have. And I, I really do appreciate like the, the legal recruiter role in the legal industry and helping people really tap into like, okay, like what do you actually want to be doing with your career? And you know, the human element of like, you know, what do you want to prioritize? What's your goal? So what advice do you have for those newly licensed lawyers or paralegals um, applying for their first position after graduation? And maybe they aren't really sure what they want from their employer or from their careers. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it it goes back to what you said about sometimes you don't know until you actually get there and, and kind of as you go through as you start working and as you go through your career and try different things, you'll get a sense of what it is Mm -hmm. that you enjoy and where you want to be. Yet for anyone who is starting out, what I like to say is take some time up front to get really granular and specific about, okay, what are my interests? What is the type of work that I enjoy doing? Do I really enjoy legal research? Do I do I enjoy um, being in front of people speaking? Like, do I want to be a litigator or do I want to be a transactional lawyer? That's kind of the first question um, for lawyers. But but on a broader level, which applies to paralegals as well, it's like, well, what are my interests? What are my strengths? What is it that I'd rather stay away from? Mm-hmm. And kind of also like, what is what does the team look like that I want to be a part of? Do I want to be, you know, kind of having a lot of autonomy and on my own? Do I want to have to learn from a wide variety of mentors? How, how do I want that to look? And once you have a clear picture of what it is that you're looking for and you kind of narrow in on, okay, these are the practice areas that I want to be, then it's about doing your research. And it's about, okay, who are the who are the firms? within Toronto or within the city that I'd like to practice in who do this type of work. Um, So create the list. Who are the lawyers or who are the professionals that work in those practice areas within those firms? Who are the ones who, like, when I look at, that's where I would like to take my career and start building relationships. So start networking with people, asking to go for coffee, asking for a phone call, um, asking questions about, you know, like, how did they get to where they're at? What does their day to day look like? And what this is the process that I used when I was looking for my artisan position and, and kind of a job as a as a new call. And what I found is that people are really willing to help out um, because we've all been there. We've all been in the very early stages looking for our first job, our first entry point. Um, there are formal, like there's a formal OCI process, but there are people who don't get placed through that process. And so the best approach to take is really the one that's about building the longer term relationships, being proactive, because when you open that door to the conversation, you never know where it's going to lead. Maybe there's a job available for you at that firm. Maybe there isn't. But what can happen when you take that time and if someone gets to know you, maybe they're going to refer you to a couple of their friends and you have those conversations. Maybe a job opens up in two months and you're top of mind. And when you take that proactive approach to your career, you're really making sure that you're um, maintaining as much agency and control over the process as possible. And I think that's those who take a proactive approach, those who are persistent and consistent with their efforts are the ones that are most successful with landing their first jobs out of 
out of school. Yeah. Yeah. Never underestimate the power of networking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's something I feel like every year I like learn over and over again. <laughs> and it's, it, there really is a lot to networking and, and just having those conversations and, and learning, you know, what do you like? What don't you like? Um, they can be really valuable like later on. So yeah, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's great advice. I would also say that it doesn't stop. Like once you, once you land your first job, like networking and building relationships within the industry, within your area of practice, that's what opens doors in the future. Like maybe a couple of years from now, you realize, oh, this isn't the team that I want to be part of, but you've been networking and you have someone who is the leader that you want to attach yourself to, or for someone who's looking to go in house. If you spend time doing business development, if you spend time attending conferences, connecting with people on LinkedIn, um, going to networking events, you don't know what doors are going to open down the line. And so it's really about, you know, giving yourself as many options as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very well said. Yeah. So as a legal recruiter, um, I'm sure you see a lot of resumes (laughs) and you've probably been through um, a couple interviews. So I'm wondering if you have any tips or tricks for, um, individuals, you know, really looking to, uh, perfect their resume or or work on their interview skills. Yes. So for the resumes, the one thing that I like to remind people is that when you're looking at whether it's one page or two page, whoever's reviewing your resume is going to read the top half of the page and they're going to skim the bottom half. So you want to make sure that you're putting your most relevant experience at the top and then kind of anything else comes second. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're looking for your first job, I know a lot of people put their education at the top and that's okay. If you're three to five years into practice, you're going to want to move your work experience up to the top of the page. That's more relevant. It's, it's more important to highlight than where you went to school. So that's what I would say for the resume is, is think about the positioning. With that as well, make it as easy to read as possible. So the fewer words, the better. Make sure there's nice spacing. You're not trying to cram everything in onto one page. And yeah, like look at how it how it reads is what I would say. In terms of the interviews, those who do the best in interviews are the ones who come prepared with examples. Um, So what I like to say is think of three examples. So three highlight real um, situations where you're able to talk about how you punched above your weight. So a time where you went above and beyond, whether that's, you know, the expectation for your year of call or the level of responsibility. So examples where you really put in the work, where you really stood out. And then in addition to that, you want to be able to speak to how did what you did make things easier for your your boss, so the partner or the senior associate or the client. Because what that does is it not only shows that you have the the experience or the work ethic, the skill, it also shows that you're self-aware and you understand what you bring to the table and how you fit into the bigger picture and into the team. Mm -hmm. That's really good advice. And I don't know if I've ever heard of that interview tip before. you know, you, you hear about how you should talk about how you'll like benefit the company, but, but not in that way. So I think that's, that's really good advice. Yeah. 
Yeah. And- yes. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say when you think of, so if, when you think of the three examples, then what you're looking for during the interview is like, they might not ask you directly, tell me about a time when, but what you want to do is you want to look for places where you can you can kind of like weave it into the conversation. So places where you can start with, well, let me tell you an example. And then you go into your story. Right, right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because sometimes interviews can be very like question answer, right? And you do have to get crafty with with how you can like weasel in all the things you want to highlight. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really good advice. What advice do you have for those that are unhappy with their current position and maybe contemplating leaving law altogether? And you and I have had this conversation previously. Um, You know, the pandemic has really shined a light on, I think, for many individuals that they all of a sudden realize that they weren't happy in their careers. Um, So it's a very relevant conversation, I would say, right now. So what would be your advice for those that, that are unhappy right now and considering just like leaving law altogether? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I was speaking with a junior lawyer recently and she was grappling with this same decision. And what I said to her was, look, like the best time to think about major career decisions is when you're in control, not when you're out of control. Yeah. So if you're in a position where you're feeling unhappy, you're potentially in your first few years of practice, which is a steep learning curve, or you're in a toxic environment where you think the only option for you is to exit the profession, then I would say, take some time to get your ship to a safe harbor. Get yourself to a place where you feel safe, where your nervous system is calm, where you are out of fight or flight and you're able to make clear decisions you're in control and you're you avoid making an emotional decision because it's very easy to in the moment especially if you're coming off a 200 plus hour month to think about okay well like what is my life going to look like next next month or next week but you have to be able to step back and think about the bigger picture of your your life and what do you want it to look like in the next five years or in the the next 10 years because you don't want to make a decision when you're out of control and then potentially regret it later so that's the first thing I will say the other thing for those who are contemplating exiting the profession again I would say take the time to get really granular be very honest with yourself about what is it that you enjoy what is it that's missing and how can you identify the gaps and then solve for them Mm -hmm. so if you are a litigator who is billing you know 2100 plus hours in a year and you really enjoy thinking on your feet, you enjoy being in court, you enjoy the strategy, putting together the arguments, um, but you're really struggling with the intensity of your practice, Mm -hmm. then going in-house or leaving the profession might not be the only answer. Maybe the answer to solve for it is going to a smaller firm where it's at a bit of a slower pace and you're still doing the litigation work that you enjoy, but you're able to solve for the fact that the intensity of where you are isn't working for you. So I would say 
if you're, if you're feeling unhappy, if, you know, six, seven days out of 10, you're unsatisfied with your job, then that's the time that you want to start gaining visibility on your options. You want to start thinking about, okay, what is it that I enjoy? What, do, what is it that I don't enjoy? What are my options? Like, so who are there other lawyers? Are there other options within the legal profession that feel exciting to me that feel like they would be a good fit? Mm-hmm. And if not, then maybe you want to look outside. But I would say, really, it's about taking the time to gain as much visibility on your options as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's again, really good advice. And I feel like if when people are kind of in that like fight or flight mode when it comes to their jobs um, and they just want to leave and they just take the next job that comes about, you lose the ability to like negotiate because <laughs> you almost feel like desperate to, to move away from the next position. Um, and I've seen that, I've seen that happen. And, you know, down the road, you're now in the same situation where you're in a position that you're unhappy in and you're contemplating moving again. And, and it's a lot. And I, I do really think it's really important and like good, good advice to like, take a moment, get to a safe space where you aren't in that like fight or flight, like, you know, your nervous system, just kind of going out of whack <laughs> and just kind mm-hmm. of calm down. Um, because all jobs, you, you know, like you were saying as well, like, all litigation jobs aren't going to be the same. Like it does really come down to like what company you're working for or what kind of clients there are. So it might not be about, you know, I need to leave litigation or like family law or immigration or whatever it may be. It might be, I need to switch who I'm working with and who I'm working for. Um, so you've been working in the legal industry for a while now. You have been working with many different people and, and moving from, you know, one area to another. Um, so I always like to ask this question, if you could change anything in the legal industry with a wave of the wand, uh, what would you change? The billable hour. <laughs> I think, no, I... <laughs> You know, one of my passions um, is really mental health and wellness. And I think that we're in a profession where it's a topic that is being discussed more. There's still a lot of stigma around it. There are still like rates of anxiety, depression, very high in, in the profession. And that's one thing that I would, I would change from a structural perspective is how can we create a more supportive environment for lawyers so that burnout doesn't happen as frequently and also so that people don't feel like their only option to have um to have balance I don't even like the word balance but to have like wellness is to leave the profession so I think that's one of the things that I would I would change and I think the billable hour plays into that quite quite a bit yes yeah because with um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe a lot of law firms have a billable hour, like quota for lawyers that you have to hit, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I've been working in the legal industry for five years now, and there are days where you might not hit billable hours, but you're still getting a lot of work done, right? Like there, there is so many other things that have to take place on top of billable hours. So it's, I, I, I can imagine it would be very difficult, <laughs> Yeah. And the other thing too, like with the target is, you know, 
it doesn't like, I think oftentimes what causes stress is like, you'll have months that are very busy and that's stressful because it's busy and there's not a lot of downtime, but then you have months where you're not as busy and you should be able to take that time to just kind of, um, to take the time and to refresh and recharge. But what happens is that in the back of your mind, you know that you have a target to meet. And so you're worried because things are slow. So now it's like, well, am I going to meet my target? And if not, what is that going to mean for me? Um, so I think that that's one of the things with the billable hour and one of like the number one reason that I see lawyers transition from private practice to in-house or think that that's the move that they want to make. It really is to get away from the billable hour. Interesting. Yeah. And it, it, it does make sense because yeah, there are busy months and there are slower months, but you hope that like those slower months are when you like, you know, rest and get ready for the busy months again. So yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I think there's a lot of, I think there are some pros with billable hours, but I think there's a lot of uh, negatives and, and cons with it as well, for sure. I don't know how um, to solve for it, but that's, I think that's one of the areas that I would, I would invest time in, in figuring out for sure. Yeah. yeah no, for sure. Um, so last question, I feel like this went by really quickly piece of advice. Do you have, um, what one piece of advice would you give your 18 year old self? I would tell her to ask for advice. I think that when I was younger, I really had the strong independent woman mentality and I was going to figure it out on my own. And now looking back, I think that there are important decisions that I made that would have been helpful if I had had the advice from a trusted advisor, someone who had been, um, where I wanted to go and could help guide me through those decisions. And I think that kind of going back to one of the reasons that I went into recruitment and one of the things that I'm really working towards as a recruiter is being that trusted advisor, someone who knows the market, someone who under, who's seen this many times of what are the things that you need to be alive to when you're making these important career decisions? Because when you're in it, when you're going through it for the first time, you're not always aware of all of the pieces that are at play. And like I said, it's very easy to kind of just think about the, the immediate decision at hand without thinking about how does that fit into my longer term objectives? Because the I would say that the happiest, most successful lawyers and legal professionals are the ones that are able to view their career as like the whole arc of their career and not just think about, okay, where am I at today? But it's where, what do I want to build? Where do I want to get to? Because potentially there are a couple of steps in between. And so how do I work backwards from my goal to set myself up for success? And quite frankly, when you're going through it for the first time, you don't always know. So I think like asking for advice um, mm -hmm. would be the piece of advice that I would give. Yeah. And I think that's really hard for 18 year olds to like grasp because <laughs> you do know it all at that age. You really do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me and, and have this chat. Um, I wish you nothing but the best in, in your career. It sounds like you're really heading in the right direction. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for, for your time. Well, thank you for having me.
So that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to watch these episodes, you can see them on YouTube or you can listen to them wherever you listen to your other podcasts. We are now on Apple Podcasts, which is really exciting. Uh, so tune in again next week for another episode of the Applicant Podcast. And thanks again for your support. Bye now.